You know, the world is definitely different now than what was even when I was a young person. I'm afraid in many ways the bizarre, or at least what I consider the bizarre, might be becoming the normal. So if that becomes the case, then I'll have to choose bizarre, Bob. But I know for a fact that whatever takes place here at Pineville Christian Church, we will absolutely lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm so confident in your resolve to that effect, and it's why I love our church. You know, as we look at the scriptures today, we're moving through the book of Ephesians. We're systematically going through Paul's letter to the Christians at Ephesus, hoping that we can gain the insight and the knowledge that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us through these particular scriptures. Now today, we'll be starting kind of in the middle of part two. So if you didn't get to see part one, you can go check it out on the podcast. You can go to the Facebook page or the app. And the first part of the message, which was entitled the seven, quote unquote, I know this is cheesy, wonders of the world. All right, now we kind of played a little bit off of the the seven wonders of the world. And we're going to pick up the last four today. And we're looking at this from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 through 7. If you have a Bible, you can look at it, or it's going to be on the screen, or if you have a phone, the Word is found in so many places. But I do want to ask you to stand with me as we honor the public reading of the Word together. From Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 through 7. The Bible says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. May God bless the public reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, you say, what is this idea of seven wonders? And I know, I know it is a little cheesy, but really what we're talking about here are, are seven unifying principles that we as Christians may have, or, or maybe if you like this better, seven things to unify believers. And I've been saying this because it's so important. If we see anything in this world today, it's disunity, it's anger, it's frustration. There's not a lot of harmony. And, and God wants us in the body of Christ to have unity and to have harmony. And so how do we do that? We focus on what is in the scriptures for us to learn. Now, I'm not going to go into a big recap, but last week we looked at the first three that were listed here, which was one body, which is the church of Jesus Christ, one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God, and one hope, which is our hope for the future. And so we're going to pick up today at number four on this idea of, of oneness and how important it is. And this one is critical, okay? He's, number four here, I want you to look at what it says as we start. There is one Lord. One Lord. Now, as a point to help you kind of get back in the flow of things, you know, oneness kind of describes unity, and that's important. But oneness also has a certain element of exclusivity to it. It's not two, it's not three, it's not four, it's not infinite. Now, it's how many? It's one, one and only. See, there's a lot of difference between having one wife and having two wives or three wives or four wives or having anything. It's, there's an exclusive nature to it. And so we have to remember that what unifies us is also what makes us distinct. If everything can't be true and then so every, and one thing be true, all right, it's very important. So we look here, and one of the things that you should unify believers is one Lord. Now, Jesus 
Christ is the one Lord. Let's go very, very back to the beginning of the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, verses 11. Some of you have read this at Christmas time. What does it say in Luke chapter 2? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah who? The Lord. He is both the Savior of the world and He is the Lord. If you want to find peace and unity with God, you have to embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, too many people want to embrace Jesus' role as their savior. They can say a prayer, do this, do that, do that, so that he will save them. But they forget that part of the salvation process is to submit at, to him as your Lord. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 36. Look what it says. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He's talking to those disciples there. Now he is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave to him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. You see, Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus was not just a great ethical teacher. Jesus was not just a philosopher. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord of our lives. And Jesus, when he was here, he made statements that prevented people from being able to logically think of him just as a good teacher. He said what? No, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the Lord. Why is this hard? Because what does Lord imply? It implies what? That we have to follow, but we don't like that. See, we like Jesus as the Savior because as long as he saves us from our sin, we keep asking him forgiveness. But what we don't like is to have to quit sinning or to quit doing this or to do that. Because what? We want to be our own Lord. If we're honest. I mean, that's the facts. We want to be the, our, the Lord of our own life. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want anybody to tell us where we got to go. I mean, listen, the truth be told, most of the stuff that you see going on with all of the, the battles with law enforcement, there are, there are instances, no doubt, where law enforcement does things they shouldn't. But that's not the heart of this. The heart of it is people don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to comply. But we, we don't want to comply. You see, we, like, we look at those people and go, why don't they do this? Listen, we don't want to comply with the authority in our life. And you know what that authority is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be Lord of our own life. Here's the thing. If you want to find peace with God, you got to submit to his lordship. Look, you want to find peace with, with human laws. What do you do? You comply with the laws. You submit to authority. We don't like that because it's no fun. Because what? We want to do this our way. We want to go our direction. We don't want to give. We don't want to serve. I mean, we want to take. We want to have. We want to live. But the call of a Christian, the unifying principle is, is to submit to the Lord. Now, the good news is he's not an evil taskmaster. Taskmaster. Well, hold on. Master, sorry, 
He's not an evil taskmaster. It's not like he's, he's not going to violate the law. He's not going to abuse us. What does he know? He has our best interest at heart. And so it's, it's an irony is that when we do submit to his lordship, we actually come out ahead, but we struggle to do that. And if you don't think that matters to Jesus, listen to what Jesus told his disciples. See, Jesus was popular for a while. Lots of people love to come see Jesus do miracles. They love to come hear him teach. He was obviously a great orator. He was a person who did very awesome things. And so all these crowds started gathering. I want you to listen to what he said to a group of them at one of these big meetings. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I mean, I, I need you to get your mind wrapped around that is you can't say, Jesus is Lord, I love God, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, and not do what he says. Hello, you may think you're a Christian, but if you aren't doing what Jesus says, you might not be a Christian. Now, I'm not talking about perfect all the time. Not, don't hear that. I'm just saying as if the overall direction of your life is, I do what I want to do. I go where I want to go. I spend my money, my time, my energy on everything that I want. And there's nothing involved in my decision-making or my actions that are engaged in what he wants, what he taught, what he showed. I mean, it's time to, it's time to do some self-evaluation. You might be deceived. You might be like these people who, who want to hear a good sermon, who want to go to a good church, who want all the blessings, but you have not submitted to the Lord. And that's so critical in this day and age. We have to fight against it because everything in our society says, be your own man, be your own woman. Nobody can tell you what to do. And Jesus stands there and says, hey, if you want to have life, you have to let me tell you what to do. And so we fight against that in our pride and in our struggle. Because He is our Lord. Let me give you three questions to ask yourself about this concept of Lord. Number one, ask yourself, who's calling the shots in my life? I mean, when you have decisions to make, I mean, do you consult the Scriptures? Do you talk to believers? Do you pray? Do you ask God? Or do you just make your own choice? Second question. To ask yourself, am I willing to surrender to his will? Because see, you're human and you are going to encounter on a regular basis decisions where you're going to have to choose between your will and his will as long as you're on this earth. The apostle Paul, who wrote this, you remember what he said? He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. So he, he's like super Christian and he's battling this, right? So you aren't better than him. Listen, I'm pretty sure you're not. So you didn't start a bunch of churches. You didn't use to write the Bible. So at least you're going to be in that same struggle. I know I am. But the question I have to ask myself is, when I encounter that moment where it's my way or his way, which am I going to choose? Am I willing to surrender to that? In my relationships, look, if you hadn't been married, but even if you have, marriage is challenging, right? Relationships are hard. Having children's hard. Work is hard. I mean, anything of significance is hard. And you're going to encounter times where you're going to want to do it your way or do it the way that the Lord is leading you to. Are you willing to surrender to His will? Here's the deal. 
It doesn't mean that you won't be a Christian. But when you encounter that crossroads between your way and his way, if you choose your way, it's like a loop. You're not going forward. You're going to loop your way, and guess what it's going to do? It's going to ultimately bring you back around to the same place, maybe a different set of circumstances where you get to decide now, am I going to choose God's way or my way? And here's the problem. The more times you make this loop, oftentimes the further back you go. And that's why people are miserable, why they have no meaning, no purpose in their life. is because every time they come to this crossroads, they, they choose their own way. Nothing more miserable than a Christian who will not submit to God's will. Third command, third question, am I willing to obey his commands? You know, there's some things you just got to do because he told you to. It's not easy, but it was never supposed to be completely easy. Now, I will say this, the more we obey, the easier it gets. But sometimes we just have to obey. Have you ever noticed that you don't get all of the details here in this life? God don't give you all of the details about why everything's happening. You want that, but you don't get it. Sometimes you just have to obey because he commanded us to obey. And that bothers people. There's some people who will miss God because they're not going to let somebody else tell them what to do. How sad. So prideful. So ingrained in self-sufficiency sufficiency that they would not submit to God. But that's what unifies us, one Lord. The second, Number five here, the second for today, is one faith. Look what he says. There's one Lord. There's one faith. Now, I like this passage from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is real important. Listen, he says, it is impossible to please God without faith. So faith is critical. Even the apostle, remember in 1 Corinthians, he says, these three things remain. What did he say? Faith, hope, and love. Faith is, so, is very, very important. Hebrews says you can't please God without faith. So that begs this question. We ask ourselves today, what is faith? Now, this is one of those deals where we don't really have to spend a lot of time wondering, all right? You're going to like this because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, you get the definition. You, look, so when you walk out of here, you can't go, man, he asked a really important question. What is faith? But I just don't know the answer. No, you're about to get the answer right here, all right? Now, I've put it in four different translations so that you can read every different one of them. There's about 30 different translations if you go to Bible Gateway. But look what it says about faith right here. Number one, in the New King James Version, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the NIV, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In the New Living Translation, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. And in the New American Standard Bible, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what is faith? Have you noticed some of the key points about faith? Look at right there. Substance, confidence, reality, assurance. So, so you, you look at that and you're like, man, this is something I can really grab onto. But look what it is. He says all of those things about what? Things either hoped for or not seen. You see, faith that you can touch isn't faith. Faith is literally the, the conviction, the belief, the assurance, the confidence, the substance 
of something that you cannot see, but that you are what? Hoping for, that you believe. Now, that's faith. Do you have faith in God today? I mean, do you believe in your heart? Not mental assent. I'm talking about confident, assurance, reality that God loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you. Listen, I, I'm so thankful to Laura for singing that song. I love that song, The Goodness of God. When I look back on my life, I mean, I almost come to tears. I, I don't even deserve all the goodness God's given me in my life. Man, do you, do you have faith in God's goodness? Or do you let some kind of Mickey Mouse little problem that you're facing today make you doubt God's goodness? Do you let fear of what might happen to you in this body shake your faith for what's to come forever? I mean, do you let the anxiety and the pressures and the struggles of this world shake your faith in God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross? Listen, you got to have faith in the God who created you. Confident assurance in reality that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he said he would. And let me tell you what, when you do that, it'll empower you to be successful in whatever it is you do. And look, some of you do very difficult things. You know, I think about some of our folks that, that, that deal with those who need counseling. That's hard. People are struggling. Man, I don't know how you do that every day if you don't have faith in God that God can make people better, that he can help people. You know, my folks in law enforcement, I don't know how you get out there every day and fight and battle and struggle with some of the darkest things in the world if you don't have faith, man, that God is going to make this world a better place. He's going to help you do it. He's going to help people. In business, where you're confronted with so many different things, man, think about how much faith helps you. Teachers, man, if you teachers battling all kind of crazy things with kids and all the struggles that they face, how much would faith empower your success in your day. Faith, one faith, is very, very important. Let me ask you two questions to ask yourself, as I ask myself, when it comes to this idea of faith. is Do I really trust God? Go back one more time, Brandon. I didn't read that scripture. I want to read it. I don't want to miss that one. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Look, I got excited. I got, skipped one of my uh, verses. Paul says, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, that's... The importance of faith. Faith is not just believing in your head, but believing in your heart through your actions and openly declaring your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these two questions emerge. Do I really trust God? Are you, are you counting on God to see you through? Man, if you're watching this today, whether it's in person or on this screen, I implore you, don't trust yourself. Don't trust other people to get you to heaven. Place your faith and trust in God. And the second question, if you answer yes, is there any evidence? 
I mean, literally. If you said, hey, I, I trust God. I'm a Christian. I have faith. Could a third-party objective person find any evidence that you trusted God? Or would it just be words? Because that's what matters, isn't it? What we say is only part of it. It's what we do. If everybody, if, if somebody could peel back into your mind and see the way you think, if they could look into your Monday through Friday and how you act, if they could peel back your checkbook and see what you spend your money on, if they could, if they could see your calendar, would there be any evidence that you have faith in God? Because that's what really matters. You can say it all you want, but do you do it? It's a tough question. I wrestled with that this week, thinking about, man, I'm going to try to create some more proof. Not that I need it for salvation, but why? Because I want to honor God and live in faith. One Lord, one faith. Number six, which builds right on that, one baptism. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, this thing of idea about baptism you know, there is some context here is in the ancient world, baptism had multiple applications. It was just a religious ceremony, okay? You remember you had John's baptism of repentance. Jesus was even baptized by John. But you had other groups of people who were baptizing people. And so the apostle wants the people to understand it's very important that there's only one baptism. And that baptism is in Jesus Christ. And that's very, very important. So now, on this idea of one baptism, I want you to listen to Peter's words that we see in the book of Acts. Because this is really the beginning of the church. And it, it points to some things that I want to tell you about this one baptism. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Now, the words that he said was, remember, the Jewish people just crucified Jesus. This is at Passover. After, and so they're just like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Stop. We messed up. What would we do? I mean, we thought we were doing the right thing, but we did the very wrong thing. This was a bad mistake. You ever been there? You ever been like, hit the brakes, pump the brakes? I done, I done gone the wrong direction. I'm doing the wrong thing here. That's what, that's what these people were saying. Their hearts were pierced. They're like, what, what are we going to do as a result of what we've done? Peter replied, listen, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter, listen to this, some of you don't like this probably, then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. You see, they knew something was wrong. They were sinners. They had to repent. And listen, do you know how they openly declared their faith in Jesus? Baptism. That's how we openly declare our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful picture, right? When we stand up here and we baptize someone, what do we say? We say, buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. 
That's what baptism is. It's the open declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. People say to me sometimes, oh, do, do I have to be baptized? Now listen, and I, I have forever been like this. I don't get sucked into questions that don't make sense to me. If why, I ask this question, why wouldn't you want to be baptized if you openly declare your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the more important question. Is it fear? Fear of what? Fear of water? Fear of what people may think? I don't know. Is it doubt? I, I don't know what it is. But, but we have to ask our questions. Have I been baptized to openly declare my faith in Jesus? Look, if you've never done that, I want to encourage you. Look, it's, there's nothing magical about the water. I mean, we get it right out of the city of Pineville Tap. But there's something very mystical about you as a person submitting to go down into the water to say that you declare your faith in Jesus Christ. I've never, nor will I ever try to coerce anyone or talk them into that. That is a decision that a person has to make of their own free will. But I'll urge you and I'll challenge you. If that's not something you want to do, why not? But in a church... Christian church, that hopefully is not too bizarre, Bob, many of the people at the gathering are going to what? They're going to have been baptized. So here's my question to you. If you have been baptized, are you still trying to hold on to your old life? Because remember, buried with Christ, what? Crucified with Christ, the Bible says, raised to walk in a what? A new life. Here's what many of us are doing. We got baptized and we really meant it. But when we came out of the water, we still holding on to all our old stuff. We still want to think the way we want to think. We want to talk the way we want to talk. We want to act the way we want to act. We want to do what we want to do, right? And that's the process of submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Look, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and finally, one God. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Throughout the Bible, go to the Old Testament. Jesus gave the Ten Commandments. You remember one of them? I like this from the message. It says, I am God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery, no other gods, only me. One God. Not a higher power, not a being, not the great spirit. Now, those might be words that people have used to describe the one God, but you got to be very careful in a spirit age, right? Because there's all sorts of spirits. What are we talking about? We're talking about one God, Yahweh, no other gods, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and the God who revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, one of the greatest subversions and tricks of the enemy is to get people to think that they're serving God, the true God, when really they may be not even looking to the God who wants to save them. Now think about the irony of this. God says, I'm your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt out of slavery to Egypt, but to submit to me as what? As Lord. Because why? It's in the submission to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you and I 
experience life abundantly, eternally. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Now, you, you may say, well, oh, absolutely, I serve God. But now let's get real for a moment. You may not have a, you may not have a little idol or Asherah pole or some little Buddha or something in your house, but, but do you have any other little gods in your life? Hey, is it money? Prestige? Accomplishment? Relationships? So many people have sacrificed God with a big G, the God who loved them through Jesus Christ and replaced it with what? Little G. And fill in the blank there. And we forget that in that same passage, when God gave us the commandments, there's a statement in there a lot of people don't like. He said, I'm a jealous God. I will not have any others. Because why? You can't have but one true God. Because if you are committed to the true God, all the other things have to find their rightful place. Second question on God. Do other people know I serve God? I mean, really. If we were to take a poll outside of coming here on Sunday, all right, people at your work, people at your kids' school, the people at the place, coffee shop where you hang out, do they know that you serve God? Or have you really kind of been dropping the ball? you like undercover right now. Undercover. Can't. I don't want to talk about that. Why? Because, see, all of it ties together, right? Because, see, when we, when we talk about it, then we got to start doing what we say. we got to start telling the truth. we got to start doing everything that he said. And so, so that's the real question is, do, if other people don't know that you serve God, I hate to imply the answer here, you're not serving God. That's just a simple fact. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that at this particular moment you're not a believer, but I can tell you this, if you're not serving God and you're not living right and you don't feel bad about that, if you don't have a sense that you're doing wrong and you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, my sincerest desire for you today, my urge as Peter urged, listen, is to pray to God and ask Him to come into your heart, to make a decision to follow Him. Because if you don't feel bad about the fact that you're not serving Him, that you're not living right, that you're not doing what you should, there's bigger concerns. So when we look at these seven wonders that unify us, the Bible says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. As believers, we're to embrace these unifying principles to make us one. Jesus cared so much about us having unity and oneness. I want you to listen to this prayer that he prays. I don't know if Oliver, y'all and Laura are going to come up and lead us in a, in a song or reflection, but as they do that, I want you to listen to this recorded prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, 
as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. You see, one of the reasons people aren't coming to God is because they're looking at all the people who say they follow God and they're no different. They don't do anything different. They don't talk any different. They don't act any different. And that's part of why we have to become one. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. Listen to this. May they experience such perfect unity that the whole world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You see, the, the importance of embracing these principles, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, it's not just for yourself. Now, it's important to save yourself. And by save yourself, you throw yourself at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ because you can't save yourself from that. But then we have a mission, a calling to do what? To reach others. And this is how we do it, by becoming who He wants us to be. As I lead us in this song of reflection, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that in whatever way God has spoken to you, that you will address those areas appropriately. You're smart enough. God's loud, voice is loud enough. If you'll just let all the other voices die down, just listen in the next few moments to what it is He wants to say to you. If you've never been baptized and you want to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're done, come talk to me and we'll work through that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you unified us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we reflect on what you have spoken to us today, I pray for the strength, the strength of will, the strength of mind to submit and to listen to what you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.